All right, folks, before we get to the main thing, I want to let you know that this episode of Oil & Gas Upstream is made possible by our good friends at Technip FMC. Now, you probably know them for their subsea business, but did you know that Technip FMC is doing fantastic things for the industry at the surface? The latest innovation is called Emission. An emission will let you monitor and control vapor pressure in real time. To learn more, visit TechneepFMC.com. Oil and gas production is the union of natural systems with advanced science and complex engineering. Smart people across the globe create this remarkable place we call Upstream, and each day brings a new challenge. This is the Oil and Gas Upstream podcast, where we look at how these systems come together and learn from the people who make it happen. So I'd like to introduce our guest, Uduak Joe Entuk, who is a former California State Oil and Gas Supervisor. Uduak Joe, thank you and welcome to our show. Hey, thanks for a, having me. Thank you. Uh, tell us a little bit about your former position as a California State Oil and Gas Supervisor and what that meant um, to you, or meant for us here yeah, in California. Yeah, I worked for the state the last three years. Um, it's a unique position. The State Oil and Gas Supervisor is the Chief Regulatory Officer over oil and gas fields in the upstream, uh, underground gas storage facilities, and geothermal operations across the state. So that entails permitting, inspections, uh, regulatory proceedings, uh, legislation, uh, and overseeing the multiple industry uh, uh, entities that make up those those industries. Oh, very, very important uh, responsibility. And I should say that we are live today here from the University of Southern California, Viterbi School of Engineering, Ershagi Center for Energy Transition Summit. So there's going to be a little bit of background noise, but that's okay, you know. I like to make it real. So, so um, and Uduak, I'm sorry, we just met today. <laughs> Uduak, uh, tell us a little bit more about your background. How did you get to be the supervisor? How, how did you even come into oil and gas business? What's your, what's your background? Your name is different. I'm yeah. not. Yeah, no, I, um, a unique background. Um, I'm, many times I'm a Peace Corps baby. My, my mom's from Long Beach, uh, ended up in the Peace Corps after college. Uh, teaching math and science in Nigeria, uh, where she met my dad, and they were both uh, teaching at the same school. You know, no books, chalk, little chalkboards and chalk was wow. all they were teaching the students, or the resources they had, no books. Um, and so, you know, the, the family story, you know, they fell in love, and she helped him uh, come over here to Long Beach State in the mid-60s to go to school as a foreign student. Um, you know, I also am a child of compromise. He wanted to name me Uduak. She wanted to name me Joe. They put a hyphen in the middle. Uduak Joe is my whole legal oh, first name, but you just go Uduak. Uh, <laughs> but it's kind of unique uh, global uh, background. But I, I grew up in Southern California in Long Beach, um, which is a, an oil providence. It's an you oil know, providence. We have the, right. the four artificial islands there. Uh, Signal Hill has a number of you know pumping units that are visible from the street and the freeway. Uh, and I just grew up around it. And I, I mean, as a kid at the at the beach in at Cherry Beach in Long Beach, I thought the uh, uh, oil islands were uh, uh, Catalina, and I thought Catalina was Japan. <laughs> you know, I thought I could see across the world <laughs> as a, a seven, eight year old. That's right. Uh, but just uh, I ended up going to Long Beach State for chemical engineering, and uh, my dad always 
told me growing up, oh, there's oil in the world, there's oil in Nigeria, we should know how this works. And at Long Beach State, that was the closest uh, academic program. There's no undergrad petroleum engineering in California, only the grad programs at USC and Stanford. And so, um, so after Long Beach State, I uh, came here to USC, did my, my master's in petroleum engineering, was working uh, full-time, going to school part-time um, out in Bakersfield. So I spent about six years in the Central Valley yeah. uh, before moving back to Long Beach, uh, going from the private sector to the public sector, um, doing the operations. The city of Long Beach is unique. It's the only city that's an operator in the state. And so they operate the four islands and then the wells within the port. And so I got to be involved in all those projects and oversight uh, before getting tapped to be the petroleum administrator for the city of Los Angeles uh, post the Aliso Canyon blowout. The, after after Aliso Canyon. Canyon. Okay, so, okay. Oh, we don't have anybody who knows about wells and uh, oil and gas. And so I got um, recruited and hired and oversaw the pipeline franchise agreements, the underground storage facilities. There's two in the city of Los Angeles. And then all the refinery work. So it's, it was quite a broad area typically in oil and gas you're an upstreamer a midstreamer a downstreamer i got to work on all three at the same time so that was a great you know the second largest city in america yeah. so that was a great experience working with the council and mayor garcetti and uh, the fire department and the air district and all the different uh, local regulatory agencies yeah, um, yeah. then i got a call in 2019 of uh, hey we're looking for a state oil and gas supervisor would you apply uh, so apply. I got appointed by the governor um, in October of 2019, and uh, for three years, uh, oversaw the state agencies. About a 90 million dollar budget, 400 staff statewide, and five offices, and a wide variety of energy policy, regulation, development. Um, you know, I got to testify before Congress and the state legislature as expert witness, and so it's uh, really a great. Um, opportunity to to build on my technical and local government experience at the state level yeah yeah no that's that's fascinating and and there's a good conversation that you and i can have here um we obviously just met uh today here at the conference um introduced by dr shaggy of the shaggy center for energy transition um i went to school in the graduate program usc here um but i recall that there are people who actually got undergraduate a long time ago mm. from from usc it just um you know it's a it's a graduate program now i'm, I'm a little bit younger yeah you're just a little <laughs> bit younger everybody knows how old i am so <laughs> we don't need to get repeating that um so so in california i worked in bakersfield and yeah. you know the whole mm -hmm. bakersfield thing worked for getty oil company texaco mm. and then elk hills naval petroleum reserve before going to washington mm. and of course then oxy bought it and then oxy sold it and and all of the above so you know um a lot of the people who listen to the show here are subject matter experts in oil and gas, especially upstream. So what are some of the unique things about upstream here in California that you observed over the course, maybe even changes? I mean, now there's been a lot of changes, policy changes within the state. Um, but probably when you were in school in Los Angeles, I mean, you know, much, much um, earlier times than the immediate um, administration, um, there were uh, sort of... Uh, a transition had already begun, mm -hmm. but there was still the legacy um, engagement, right? So tell us something about like history, oil and gas, California, where we are now. Because a lot of people hear a lot of sound bites in the news, yeah. but you're in the know. I mean, you actually have lived it and, and, and probably still live it. We'll get to your current um, position now uh, in a minute, but yeah. tell us about the history. 
Yeah, you know, it's it's ironic in the many ways. Um, the oil history in California, and particularly Los Angeles. Man, one time, uh, L.A. was the largest producer of oil in the world. Right? People say, oh, we were the Saudi Arabia oil before Saudi Arabia, right. you know, in the 1920s and 1930s, um, which really, many of the names, you know, you talk about Getty Oil, we have the Getty Museum. The mayor of L.A. Well, is, a, is a Getty house. <laughs> J. Paul Getty took yeah. oil and gas in P to Saudi Arabia. Yeah, and there's right. lots of photos of, right. you know, of that engagement. Mm -hmm. Anyway, please continue. But it's... Um, you know, I mean, long history back to the Tavanga peoples and using, uh, you know, natural tar seeps as, you know, for boats, for uh, pottery, for medicinal uses, you know, hundreds of years uh, in California. But it, uh, you know, Los Angeles was the beginning before Kern County and the Central Valley was discovered. And, and then, you know, it's just the history of the former wooden piers that were out in the water in Santa Barbara and Ventura and Venice Beach, uh, that those wells are mainly abandoned, but some are, were abandoned 100 years ago, different standards and are you know, right. leaking today. That's um, right. Which has right. been a focus uh, for the state the last uh, several years. But it's, um, you know, the, the production has been dropping in California since 1985. Um, you know, you go back to the oil embargoes and the North Sea coming on and OPEC and so forth, that it was really, you know, price collapse in, I think, 84. You know, there used to be petroleum engineering at Long Beach State where I went to undergrad, but by the time I got there, it was gone. Oh, right. Okay. You know, in, in the late 90s, early 2000. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's, there was, you know, lots of divestment or mergers. And, you know, when I started at Chevron, that was when... Texaco was being merged with Chevron and, and Unical was being merged globally. That's right. You know, it was just, there, there's been, you know, the industry's had consolidations and mergers and divestments. And so mm -hmm. what it looked like in the 80s or 90s is different here, you know, 30 years later, okay. <laughs> you know. And so, but it's, that's been the trend in California is there people come and go, but there's such a huge uh, resource base. Uh, I mean, Los Angeles has been said to have the highest density of oil in the world uh, per foot. Once you get look at all the wow. the buildings of barrels that are that are under Los Angeles, let alone going to Kern County and up and down the Central Valley. You know, it used to be a former ocean. You know, yeah, it's that's right. marine crustaceans and that's right. you know diatomite is you know <laughs> former right. you know little crab creatures. That's right, that's the skeletons. <laughs> skeletons that make up the unique oil deposit there. Yeah. Um, yeah. But many time it's in, in the U.S., it's kind of there's the California oil and gas and there's the rest of the country. The rest of you the know, country. the whole fracking boom that's happened and led to the U.S. to be the number one producer of oil in the world. The fracking is a very small and now not, not happening at all in California. Right. Uh, but it, there was nowhere. You saw New Mexico, North Dakota. Pennsylvania, all their statewide oil production going up. Right. California has never changed. Right. It's been on that decline since '85 right. and accelerating. Right. I mean, it's been anywhere from from three to eight percent the last uh, you know four years of yeah of decline. So, um, some of the people who listen are not subject matter experts, uh, and they listen to just get a little bit of exposure to oil mm -hmm. and gas, mm -hmm. and I'm really grateful for, for those people. Just So just, just to make a point on the hydraulic fracturing. So reservoirs in California are. Um, uh, the traditional Sand, uh, sandstone. sandstone with high permeability, high porosity. They don't need hydraulic fracturing. Correct. Any hydraulic fracturing that any fracturing was done of any kind 
in the wells had to do with production controls mm -hmm. and uh, m making it easier. Well, that's for sand production. control to keep the sand amount of control. sand particles coming in, or with like the dynamite. It's such a unique uh, geological uh, properties. If it didn't hydraulic frack, it wouldn't produce. Right. But it's it's a very small piece of the reserves in production in California. Anywhere from two to ten percent of production year year to year is related to hydraulic fracturing. But these are still conventional reservoirs. They're not these the unconventional. Are, no, right. But they're not they're not natural gas shale fracking. They're not deep. They're shallow. They're short term. Right. You know, anywhere from two to kind of seven days. It's not these. Massive you know, 40 trucks in Pennsylvania, <laughs> you know, right, right. So that's weeks. kind of, you know, unique to California. And so hydraulic fracturing has been going on forever in California. At least 50 years. At least 50 years. And and because of that, being a, a different res type of reservoir, it's a different type of hydraulic fracturing, as Uduak explained to us. And uh, the notion that... Um, you are going to ever see any of the uh, differences that you see in, you know, unconventional reservoirs. They just, they just don't exist here um, in California. So, um, so, so you're saying now we don't uh, have as much production in California. You said there's no hydraulic fracturing whatsoever, even though it's not the massive frac style of, of unconventionals. And so what are some of the things that are going on in California if you still keep up with um, trends in, in California's uh, production? Yeah, there's, it continues to decline. We're at the lowest level of production in California history uh, right now. Mm. Um, still about 400,000 barrels a day. Uh, we're about 4% of U.S. production, so a very small, relatively small producer compared to... So from the top producer in the world to <laughs> when, when I got involved in oil and gas, um, it was the third large... Kern County would have been like the third la largest yeah. oil producer... Or I'm sorry... Uh, tenth largest oil producing nation in the world. Kern County was a nation. California was third in production in U.S. and New Mexico has probably passed us. Texas is up there. North Dakota, like there's been a number of states that have leapfrogged California right. as far as production. And the reservoirs are different. So the reservoirs, are different, but we've had no in-state new discoveries. So there's no Permian Basin in California, right. where New Mexico has a Permian Basin, of Texas, that are all new big, you know. Uh, development plays that, that just don't exist. Yeah. I mean, the last development, real discovery, was in the 1960s of uh, the La Cienega field and oh, across yeah. Los Angeles, oh, where um, yeah. you know that were kind of urban oil right. that was developed in the in the early 60s. Yeah. Um, is there an offshore story for offshore California? Well, offshore has been declining as well. Um, I think it was Jerry Brown's first time in office that they said no more new offshore leases. There were existing leases, but they've uh, uh, gone away. I think there's only like two active leases left okay. uh, you know, for, for like a traditional offshore platform. Mm -hmm. uh, there used to be uh, five islands, um, and one of them was recently abandoned in uh, up north, and they used to have the four in Long Beach now that are, you know, onshore, offshore, depending on how mm -hmm. you, you look at them. They're very, very near shore, and they're artificial, and they're not, they're yes. not platforms. That's right. you, you know, the state is three nautical miles out as far as state regulatory authority, and you go beyond that in federal waters, there's quite a few uh, platforms and inactive platforms, a couple dozen. Right. And so... So uh, is that production allowed to come onshore? Yeah, so there's already pipelines. There was a pipeline spill last year that uh -huh. was uh, from the federal outer continental production, uh -huh. Uh, amplify energy uh, that the the pipeline coming on shore broke and led to the Huntington Beach oil spill. Oh, right. 
and you know, there was a whole news. federal investigation and, right. and uh, interaction, but it was, you know, the, the agency I was over, we didn't do uh, federal pipelines. Right. That's the fed, that's the federal government. Right. Uh, and, and we were only three miles in, so we weren't, we didn't inspect or regularly have any authority over the operations in federal waters. So existing operations can continue on and offshore, but there's just no new development? Can you drill new wells in infill or something like that? Uh, currently, no. no. Okay. Uh, this, this year is the first year uh, the state hasn't issued any uh, new drilling permits as of, you okay. know, where are we at? March 17th, 18th yeah. <laughs> that I've wow. seen. Uh, which is unique. Uh, March 20th. Just 20th. Are, what day are we? We are at March 20th. <laughs> <laughs> We're not working the weekend. We yeah, are. <laughs> yeah. 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 So it's um, yeah. it's just, you know, ch- pump changes, uh, clean outs, you know, right. uh, basic well man- management, uh, whatever production's on, you know. Mm-hmm. And this is unique is this last year, even with uh, higher um, oil prices with the Ukraine war, we oh, didn't right. have an increase in rigs. Our rig count still went down wow. uh, in California, which is, you know, yeah. a, a disconnection is not typical, yeah, you yeah. Know, but also shows of the decline of, um, you know, new drilling, decline of capital investments, you know, and the transition away. I mean, the state of California is already exceeding the Paris Accord uh, reductions of 6% per year. Oh, we're beyond, right. we're, we're, excel- we're, 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 right. we're going down faster than that yeah. of in-state so oil So where's production. the oil coming from to... I mean, well, I'm from California. I know that you got to have a car. Yeah, know? even with the pandemic, the demand hasn't gone away. Um, so there's been an increase in imports from Alaska and other foreign countries that uh, come on oil tankers across the world to come to California. So Alaska is subject to environmental regulations, development regulations that are part of, you know, EPA, state, whatever, you know, the whole uh environmentally sustainable strategies for producing oil and gas. But these other countries aren't necessarily that careful about how they produce oil and gas. Yeah, they, they don't have any um, uh, prevention, regulations, uh, oversight, greenhouse gas mitigation, methane reduction like we have now. I mean, we have a California methane rule that's stronger than the federal methane rule. Right. Uh, we have inspections that happen uh, on a one to three year basis, depending on the proximity to urban areas. Uh, I've, I've never seen anywhere else in the world that has that level of uh, inspections and mitigations. to protecting the environment. Right. I mean, yeah. it's, we don't have these big, huge flares you'll see in Mexico or even in Texas or right. Nigeria, you know, where the, the, the sky's lit up at night. We don't have that. Yeah here where those places are just um because there's no infrastructure for natural gas they just burn all the natural gas is produced right uh, unless they have an lng which is not their full yeah no in the other states it's like the the um, infrastructure is sort of lags behind the production Mm -hmm. right and so over time it's addressed um and now there's new money to to be able to to mitigate the flaring and the and hold on the emissions but you're right so i didn't realize that california how long have we so never had? I mean, there was flaring when I was here. Yeah, the they're still flaring, 80s. but we have high efficiency flares and 99% burn. Oh, okay. uh, so you don't have partially combusted okay. uh, hydrocarbons with more socks and knocks that you would get from an open flare right. burn. Okay. You know, and it's uh, but it's 75% of what we use is imported now. Right. So we're becoming more heavily dependent on global price, the uncertainty of any geopolitical event. You know, like the Arab Spring happened, that rose prices. The Ukrainian war raised prices. 
Then it happens with China and Taiwan. That's going to raise prices, and it's going to be a shock, a price shock when uh, those happens because we just we don't have a domestic source. Right. I was here in October. Like I said, I'm from Orange County, um, and I was here in October for a family affair and um, was staying out in Newport and. The gasoline prices on the corner station were like approaching seven dollars, and no one was complaining. <laughs> well, you know, it, it hits uh, communities of color harder. It hits low-income oh. folks harder. The elderly, you'll see more folks on the bus walking or just not going. Right. You know, instead of going out shopping or going to the park, we're just going to stay home unless we can walk there. So that's the quality of life we've been talking about at the conference here. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. yeah when, no, when I mean that's that's the seven dollars. Like I'd rather eat than take an extra trip somewhere. Right, right. Yeah, no, you're right. It's hitting some communities harder than others. That's that's absolutely right. So, so what do you think? What do you think about some of the topics that we've talked about here at the at the conference? Some of the um, one of the topics, of course, that I, that's important to me is the whole notion of energy literacy, um, juxtaposed with the lack of e- economic literacy and the like. And so, what what are your thoughts on that um, sort of? Yeah, you know, the first panel kind of was the macro level overview of where we as the global energy demand and how we're meeting the the Paris Accords and the trajectories of uh, emission reductions, you know, in 2030 versus 2045, which is always a good refresher to go over uh, and reminder of the challenge that we have ahead that we have to reduce greenhouse gases and and we have to use every available strategy we can because it's we're getting to the point of no return here of like well we can't be choosy or the more we fight the status quo prevails and we don't reduce and so um you know that was a good opener and then i mean there was a discussion of you know most of the folks in the room are energy experts and professionals and this is not a regular <laughs> room of the general public and how do you how do we convey information whether it's in schools or science fairs or engineering curriculums and you know, there was a professor asking about the environmental social responsibility goals and his classes he teaches and i guess there was a there was a speaker from mckenzie versus what was in the newspaper and how disparate you know, the, the management consulting, everything's great. Right. <laughs> and the newspaper is not so great. It's right. not, you know, and, and the looks like the need for some standardization as far as measurements and metrics within the ESG okay. framework. And so it's, you know, you can see just as a student, and, and the professor was, was or there was another professor talking about an op-ed that the, in, in Colorado, they kept saying, oh, you need to bring it down to an eighth grade reading level. It's too sophisticated. Can you take that out? Can you explain that a little bit more? And by the time he got what was published was very different than the original content and the challenge of mass communication to many people who don't have a technical background, don't have experience, are just living their life and, you know, day to day, that this is not, you know, but it's, it, it impacts them when the gas prices Absolutely. are up. Absolutely. We're talking about are. the United States where, you know, most everybody's educated. I mean, we have what we need to have a high quality of life. Um, and a lot of us don't get it. A lot of us don't engage in the narrative associated with energy security, right? Economic security, national security as a function of energy supply, right? And affordable energy supply. So that's kind of, one of the messages that I picked up was the notion that um, the transition, the change is going to take possibly longer than is hoped. 
And if we want to speed it up, it's going to take more money. And so then where's the money going to come from? And it's just sort of this. this yeah, it was interesting to see Dr. Paul talk about that transition from coal, how coal is, such, is still the biggest source of right. greenhouse gases in the world. And, and I, I, re, I went on a trip to India with the city of L.A. And, um, you know, we complain in Los Angeles we have 50 parts per million PM 2.5. They had 1,000 on their reading, oh, like 1,000 wow. people. PPM of 2.5 in, in, in Bangalore. And it's like, they only, they only have a power plant in the city that produces the power. Everybody burns their trash, their agricultural waste. All the cars are diesel powered, which after the Volkswagen uh, scandal, yeah. was, it's a higher emitter and not a lower emitter. Oh, uh, wow. It makes more PM 2.5. Oh. And it's really, you know, I mean, I could feel it choking and my eyes were irritated oh, just yeah. in the week visit. Um, you know, versus coming back home was like, oh, you know, yeah. clean air in L.A. Right, right. Well, I grew <laughs> up know. in um, Oceanside and then uh, Huntington Beach. And so just being on the coast, like with the Santa Ana winds coming off from the from the desert and bringing all the pollution out to the coast. Um, so that was pretty pain- painful. And then on, on good days, obviously, you know, we didn't have that. But then we'd go visit family in Los Angeles and you can just... Yeah. You could even see yeah. it. You know. now, I, I grew up in L.A. with asthma and oh. red, red smog days that don't play outside. Right. Uh, but we, right. but the, the emissions reductions we've made and air pollution improvements in right. Los Angeles right. have been you know, tenfold from the 80s at right. that time. Right. And I, I was on the Air District's uh, uh, recent air study called Mates 5. It's been a 50% reduction in the last five years wow. of toxic air emissions. Wow. You know, that's on top of the other mates right. four studies right. since the 80s that continue to, to drop. So it's And is that a function of the decline in production? No, it's, it? it's the improvement of um, scrubbers and um, mitigation technology at industrial locations and refineries, catalytic converters, more mass transit. You know, more efficient hybrids. So instead of a gallon getting you eight miles, now a gallon gets you 40 miles, you know, and that's less combustion. Um, All those combination of technologies has made a real difference in air quality. Okay, there's hope. That gives me hope. Yeah. That you, if you do all the above, you can use all the above, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and that's it. It's like the ozone layer. Yeah. We came up with a global solution to regulate HFCs to, you know, stop the ozone layer hole from getting bigger, (laughs) you know, and now it's even better than, you know, the best place it's been since we knew about it. But that was a... You know, science-based, technological, even had a, you know, cap-and-trade system. That's right. I mean, that's right. California has that, right? I forgot. So all of these things help and make it all work. They're going to call us back here in just a moment. Tell us us what you're doing now. Well, man, I'm a free agent for the first time in 17 years. So I'm uh, doing some consulting and lots of uh, What's the name of your company? Uh, uh, Engineering Results and Associates. Beautiful. Beautiful name. Great, yeah. great, yeah. Well, thank you so much, Udawak Joe Ntuk, a former California oil, state oil and gas supervisor and now founder of, say the name of your company again, I'm sorry? Engineering Results and Associates. Thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Okay. Join us again next week on the Oil & Gas Upstream Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com.